0: Listening to Nocturne, I'm Vanessa Lowe. Traveling at night as a passenger is an act of trust. As the sensations of movement lull you to the edge of sleep or beyond, you surrender to dislocation, disconnecting from place and time. The only constant is motion. As your consciousness bobs up into the present moment, in the darkness, you could be anywhere or nowhere at all. Phil Corbett is a musician and podcast producer. He's found himself being whisked through the darkness on many occasions, like this time on a 41-hour bus ride through Argentina.
1: It's 2 AM, pouring rain in the downstairs floor of the bus is covered in water. Freeway overhead silently jam past and the air conditioner has been on all night. Lightning over rural Argentina. The sky lights up in sectors. First northwest, then west, then southwest. I can't see east. It's 41 hours from Buenos Aires to Sao Paulo stop in a rest stop with a full buffet. I get coffee. There's a dog in the immigration office. We drink wine on the bus and I fall asleep. I have a dream I'm in a different bus in a different place, still heading north. Then I have a dream I'm on this one, but I realize it's a dream and I'm stuck. Sleep paralysis. I'm awake but can't move or open my eyes. I start by wiggling my toes and then my fingers, feeling the weight of my head pushing down on my teeth. My leg slides off the seat and I wake up. I'm awake now,
0: careening. a short episode of the podcast Van Sounds, which is produced by Phil Corbett. It's a show about movement inspired by Phil's experiences traveling around in tour buses with bands. That piece, Bus 41, was an audio postcard inspired by the disjointed, surreal experience of a very long ride through multiple nights.
1: Bus 41 took place in Argentina between Buenos Aires and Sao Paulo. I was on tour with my current band and we had toured from Sao Paulo through Brazil, through Uruguay, and into Argentina. And for the most part, we took public buses the whole way. So we would get to a town, play a show, get enough money to buy bus tickets to the next town, and then wake up in the morning and go get bus tickets, and then go that way. When we got to Buenos Aires, we were talking about taking flights back, but they were so expensive, and we were like, You know what we have four days before our next show let's just get a bus up there and so they were pretty cheap but they also took 41 hours to do that whole ride and so we like went to this pizza restaurant we ate as much pizza as we possibly could because we knew we were going to be eating like snacks for the next two days and Then we just bought a bunch of bottles of wine and Fernet and then like got on this bus and just hunkered down for the entire 41 hour drive. And yeah, it was really surreal because that first night I, I had that moment of waking up in a place that I didn't recognize and it was pouring rain and like the thunder was just crazy. Like you could hear the thunder in the bus and the lightning was just showing these big expanses of land where there weren't mountains around or anything. So it'd like flash and you could just see the horizon, like as far as your eye could see. And it was really, really disorienting. And it was just a really beautiful moment that would kind of go in and out of being really uncomfortable and really like punishing. Cause we were on it for two nights. So, you know, like I slept through two different nights on one bus. We like entered a box and then got out of the box in another country two days later. It was it was really bizarre. It sounds kind of cheesy, but it, it felt like my entire life was in the bus. Like waking up multiple times and being in the same chair in a bus was like, oh man, this is just gonna happen forever.
0: While the title of that audio postcard is Bus 41, to me, it's the last word in the piece that truly conveys its feeling.
1: The last word is careening. So, like, to careen. Yeah, the word careening, I think, really just captured what was happening for that whole trip, where it was so calm and quiet inside, but knowing that the bus was flying down the freeway at like 70 miles an hour just felt like being shot down this this tube and you're just kind of like sitting there calmly while you're just flying through this new place careening is sort of passive too like it's not as you don't really careen on purpose you know you're like you're kind of you're you're careening when you're sort of out of control we were at the whims of some other forces that we couldn't quite explain or understand. And I, I mean, I think that's a big part of of travel, and especially traveling with bands, is like, you just kind of, you, you need to get to the next place, so you just kind of let things happen, and you just go.
0: Phyllis played with lots of different bands and also helped in supporting roles when needed. It was on his first big tour in 2011, that he discovered the unique dislocated quality that is distinctive to band travel.
1: I had been touring with a band called Cobra Skulls and I was just their merch guy. And they were getting kind of big, they were sort of doing well, so at this point they had a shuttle bus and it was kind of like an airport shuttle and they had just a few seats in there and then they had fixed it to where there was a loft in the back so you could sleep up on top of the loft above all the gear. And so I'd finish merch for the night. We'd be in some town and I'd finish selling and then putting away all the merch. And most of the time, most people in bands seemed to be total night owls. So they would hang out and talk to the venue owner or talk to fans or hang out with old friends or whatever. And I would typically just go back and fall asleep in the van right then, because I'm not generally up super late. And so I'd fall asleep. And one of the guys, he was just completely nocturnal, and he would stay up all night and then sleep all day. And so after everybody hung out, he would just drive to the next city or halfway to the next city. And so I'd be asleep and everybody would pile in and he'd start driving and I I would wake up at like two or three, sometimes four in the morning. And we would just be on some part of freeway that I just didn't recognize at all in some part of the country I didn't recognize at all in a time of night that I didn't recognize at all. And it was just this really beautiful, surreal moment to wake up into. And I would just look forward to that every night, just would look forward to waking up into this weird place that I didn't understand.
0: While Phil enjoyed the disorienting experience waking up on the tour bus in the middle of the night, it wasn't always idyllic and ethereal.
1: There were a few nights where I woke up and it wasn't beautiful. There were a couple nights where, I mean, it was, you know, four people living in a bus together, so I'd wake up to like a shouting match or like an argument sometimes. Um, and so that would be like this really weird experience too, like waking up into an argument that your friends are having. And occasionally, like, I wouldn't wake up in the middle of the night. So I would wake up after we had parked and it would be, like, before sunrise. And it would be, like, some weird rest stop that I didn't know what state we were in. I wouldn't know what town we were in. And it was really disenchanting sometimes to wake up in a rest stop that had, like, a McDonald's and, you know, an Arco or whatever, a travel plaza of some sort and kind of realized, like, I could be in Louisiana right now or I could be in Maine. Like, it could be anywhere. But most of the time, I remember just sitting there up on the loft because I would, I would wake up and kind of be wide awake from adrenaline and just feeling kind of crazy. And I would wake up and sit on the loft and just watch through the giant shuttle bus windows because the whole walls were just windows and when you're on the freeway and like the back roads late at night it's just really cool like you get this huge expansive view it's like being in a convertible or something and all of the lights would just be like streaming by and it felt so unreal like it felt like being in a spaceship or something and I knew that the only way that that was possible was if I was a passenger. Like, I couldn't make myself be in that position, you know? Like, I could only wake up into it. And that, that was what was so interesting about it and so beautiful. And I think that that just, like, lodged itself into my brain, like, this incredible feeling of movement in an unfamiliar place. And that just, like, stuck with me.
0: Phil's fascination with hurtling through unfamiliar landscapes in the dark is not limited to buses and tour vans.
1: I think one of the coolest experiences I had at night was hopping a freight train across Nevada. It's incredibly dangerous. Because, I mean, basically it's a giant, like, many, many ton piece of metal that just like hurls down these like tiny tracks at you know 60 miles an hour sometimes more and i mean anything it touches like it would just destroy like you you've probably seen like cars and stuff that are hit by trains like they're gone they just are completely obliterated and like that happens to people that are trying to like hop trains that happens to anything that gets in the way of a train is like just doomed So trying to, you know, jump onto one, even if it's, like, sitting still at the time, is, like, wildly dangerous. It was, like, years of daydreaming about riding freight trains. I would go down to the train yard in Reno or in Sparks next to Reno and would just watch trains and, like, try to plot ways to get on and like understand where they were going and finally i had i had told my friend sky that you know i'd been thinking about this and he's like oh i've been kind of thinking about that too do you want to go sometime and we we hopped on it i think it i want to say it was around midnight we sat in the dark for a few hours before it even showed up And when it did, we were kind of about to give up, and it just, this train just rolled up and it had a boxcar right in front of us and it was wide open. And we were just like, well, there it is. So we just jumped right on it. And it it left at midnight and it went all the way until 11 a.m. the next morning. On the train, it was kind of like, I, I think I got an hour of sleep, but I was otherwise just alert and just like, in the moment the entire time because it was so loud, it was so windy, it was so cold, it was so shaky that it was like, you kind of had no choice but to be fully alert and awake the whole time. And that did go in waves where sometimes it would be really kind of terrifying. You'd be going through a town really slow and you could see like cops, you know, like the railroad cop looking in to the train. And then sometimes you'd just be like in this giant expansive desert and just know, oh, it's just me, like it's only me here. It was a full moon that night and you could just see everything, just these huge desert valleys. And it was just this really beautiful, beautiful moment. You're just like out of control and you're flying through the desert and there is absolutely nothing you can do to slow it down. It was so romantic and so magical, but also so punishing that it was kind of the right amount like to make me love it and know that I probably wouldn't be doing it a bunch. Just getting off and being exhausted and beat up and like bruised and covered in dirt and soot and kind of sunburnt, but also freezing and like getting to the place where we got off and being like, Whoa, that was an insane experience. The Hunter's Moon hangs behind the black barbed wire on a chain link fence. It's bright out. As we step from the cover of trees, a gas station billboard illuminates us like prison escapees. The freeway behind us breathes with activity. A man in a white truck pulls by. He's looking for us, but he sees nothing. We jog to an embankment and lay face down. Tonight, we're hopping a freight train. The first train picks up speed. We wait for the rail cop, also known as the bull, to pass. By the time he's out of sight, the cars are moving way too fast. An attempt to get on would likely go very wrong. My friend Sky and myself lay down chests to earth, and the ground rumbles beneath us. We move closer to the center of the yard and find a hiding spot. We wait. A whistle sounds in the distance, and we watch a second train approach. It shoots by without slowing, so we resign to our hiding spot in the bushes. We wait. Two hours pass, and we hear footsteps near the tracks. We drop to the ground and remain motionless, hearts and throats. The noise passes along with a small local train, and we continue to wait. They say most of train riding is waiting. Cold starts to set in, and we consider calling it at night. The lights begin to approach. We crouch behind the plants and watch the engine pass at a crawl. It's a mixed manifest, which means it's hauling a variety of car types. They stop. We peek above the embankment to see two open box cars staring back at us like dead eyes. We keep our backs to the trees and our faces in the shadows. The engine cranks to life and begins to pull forward. There is no sign of the bolt, so we run up to the car and toss our bags in. The floor is about chin level. I make a running leap and roll in first. We move our bags, get to the inside corners, and hope like hell this train doesn't stop. It roars beneath us and picks up speed. We're off. Adrenaline reaches the tip of every vein as we leave town under high clouds and low winds. The tracks follow the Truckee River for a few miles before forking off to find the river's terminus at Pyramid Lake. We watch firmly through the boxcar door, the last town between Reno and open desert. It's about two in the morning and we sit silently watching the state pass. We're powerless. We're the fleas on the back of a giant. We're along for the ride, whether we like it or not. Now, there's a reason most people don't do this. It's dangerous. Everybody who rides knows somebody who knows somebody who's lost a limb or two. It's illegal. Most train riders have been pulled off at some point. And it's extremely uncomfortable. It's deafening. We can't speak even at the tops of our lungs. It's cold as hell. Fortunately, the wind doesn't reach the front half of this car, but the temperature soon falls below freezing. And most of all, it shakes. It rattles you to the bone. Your body is tossed from side to side and occasionally thrown back and forth without warning. It breaks, it lurches, and it vibrates. After a few hours, I unpack my sleeping bag and get inside. I lay on my stomach and let the train rock me to sleep. I sleep for about an hour before waking to the brakes. The train clicks onto a sided track and rolls to a stop. I can see a large prison on the south side of the rails, and a red signal far ahead. There's a second empty boxcar behind us, and a line of oil tankers ahead, followed by a few grain cars. We watch the other train pass, and the signal ahead turns to white. Our train muscles on. I move to the door and sit cross-legged, staring at the countryside. The moon flashes through old cottonwoods and I feel like I'm in a movie. The air is cold and the moon sits just above the horizon. I can't help but crack a smile. To ride a freight train is to experience America in one of its rawest forms. Billboards are not geared toward the train rider. The tracks run through the rough parts of town, through backyards, through forgotten plots of land. There isn't the ultra clean veil that masks the driver, the airline passenger, or even the hitchhiker. The smooth freeways and shiny fast food dining rooms are replaced with dirt and abandoned industrial buildings. The landscapes aren't packaged and you see them as is. It's easy to lose track of time on a train. It runs on its own tempo. The rhythmic wheel clacks kill the clock's ticks and inject its own steel heartbeat. We exit canyon lands and the bridges zigzag over the river before splitting and running parallel to acres of farmland. We watch farmers and tractors and see the rundown side of small desert towns wake up. I see a road sign that claims Elko is 16 miles ahead. We approach and pass Elko proper before we start to slow down. We see the perfect hop-out spot, but we're still barreling along. I see the bull, call the sky, and we push our backs against the inside wall. I peek after a few minutes to see an active construction site. They're installing more rails, and the place is crawling with workers. We pass a few cranes and bulldozers and find ourselves between the hub of activity and the main yard office. The train's moving about five miles an hour, and we spot a road across the yard. I decide to go for it. We hoist our bags and leap off on the fly. We sprint as fast as we possibly can, feet sinking into wet sand. We reach brush, but still have a bit to run. A white SUV pulls up next to us. We drop, and we hide while it passes. I'm absolutely sure we're caught. We get back up, and we run like hell. We drop into a gully and hop over one more railway to make it to the asphalt. We jog around the corner, breathless, then reach and stand behind a chain-link fence. Safe.
0: That was Freight Train from the podcast Van Sounds. You've been listening to Nocturne. I'm Vanessa Lowe. Nocturne is produced by me and was created by myself and Kent Sparling, who also composed the theme music. You can find Phil Corbett's podcast, Van Sounds, wherever you listen to podcasts. There's a link to Phil's website at our website, nocturnepodcast.org. Nocturne is produced with generous support from KCRW's Independent Producer Project, which provides resources to creative storytellers around the world. Do you have a story that might be a good fit for Nocturne? A listener recently wrote a review saying that Nocturne is a podcast with a weirdly specific but awesomely expansive topic. I love that. Pitch us a story that intersects in some way with the night by emailing hello at nocturnepodcast.org. Nocturne is part of The Herd, a collective of audio producers creating smart and beautiful work. Find out more at theherdradio.com. Thanks for listening.